with. Open your Bibles to Romans chapter 4. Romans chapter 4, verses 17 through 21. We, we return to Romans today. We're almost through the end of chapter 4. We have one more passage to go. We'll only get through verse 21 this morning. And then we'll finish up chapter 4, Lord willing, next week. But, but I think this is one of the most helpful and practical passages in the, in the chapter. Um, that's, I would say that for believers and unbelievers alike, or, or agnostics, or anyone, a people that are trying to figure out what is authentic or biblical faith, because you have a model of that right in front of you in these, in these verses. It's where the Apostle Paul describes Abraham's faith. And many of you know every year whenever I go on vacation, which is usually around September or October, uh, I use that time to catch up on reading. And I'll choose, during uh, each vacation, I'll choose uh, a one significant figure from, from church history, and then I'll read about them. Uh, I started doing that years ago to make sure that I would would uh, be faithful and read those kinds of books because the normal load of of, of ministry is full of other reading, and I'm always challenged, I'm always edified by reading church history or reading biographies about, about men and women of, of, uh, of faith. And I don't know if you have a practice of reading Christian biographies, but if I don't, I would, I would, I would strongly encourage you to, to start. It's, it's just so helpful. You, what you can gain from reading about dead people can be immense. You you actually get to see something different from what you, you see when you turn on the news or read about Elon Musk or somebody who's living today, whoever that might be. You, you, you get to see their whole life. You get to see the beginning and the end. You get to see how they started and how they finished, and you don't always have the opportunity to see how somebody finishes, which is an admonition to make sure that you don't put your, put your faith in, in somebody too young or too, or too soon. You actually get to see in uh, see theology in fleshed. You, you get to see it lived out, and and whenever you you do that, you get to see any fruit that it produces, good or or bad. And beyond that, it's very motivating. It, it's motivating and challenging um, to see a real life example of dynamic faith, where you get to be transported to another time and a number and another place, like like Burma in 1819 when Adoniram Judson held his first public meeting with 20 people while he was giving his life and, and love for the cause of, of Christ to people that, that had never heard. Or, or 1555 at, in Smithfield when John Rogers refused to recant the doctrines of the Reformation even in the face of Bloody Mary's fire and he was burned at the, at the stake. It's dynamic, it's captivating, it's motivating. Real examples of faith can be powerful teaching tools, which is why the Apostle Paul gives us a biblical example today in the, in the faith of, of Abraham. Ever since he began chapter 4, Paul has been using the Old Testament as evidence of the gospel that, that he preaches. Christianity is not a new religion. It is a fulfillment of the promise that God made a long time ago, and that promise was, was given to, to Abraham. 
And he's been calling on the Old Testament saints to prove it. Salvation has always been by grace alone, through faith alone. And Paul has been laying out that case for us point by point. And he began by calling Abraham and David, King David, to the witness stand. And he showed that Abraham was saved by faith and that King David was forgiven by by grace. One of the evidences that the Bible is true, it it shows everything, warts and all. It shows the the sin of of David, the struggles of of Abraham. In fact, when Abraham was saved, when God made a covenant with with, with Abraham, uh, Abraham didn't have much to do with it. He presses beyond just the necessity of faith in general. Paul then goes on to show us that salvation must be by faith alone. It's not just faith. Abraham had faith, David had faith, but it's faith alone. And he he demonstrates that by by showing salvation did not include circumcision or ceremonies in our day like like the Lord's Supper or Mass or baptism or anything else. Abraham was justified by God years before he was given the sign of circumcision. It was just that. It It was a sign, just like baptism is for us. It's a It's an outward symbol of an inward reality that's already taken place. Circumcision was an outward sign of what God needed to do in the Jewish heart. They needed to be circumcised in in heart. And and after salvation was not by ceremony, then he adds it's not by by living, living out the law either. I mean, Paul demonstrated that Abraham did not receive the promise that he would inherit the world because he kept God's commandments, because nobody, nobody can even do that. It was through faith. And he showed that the promise of God was then based on grace. It has to be. Because God's promises that he will fulfill will will be to all of Abraham's offspring. And so we, being Abraham's offspring, receive it by faith as well. And because of that, Abraham is called the father of all nations, which includes you and I today, if you're a believer. I just want to summarize what Paul's been saying, he's saying salvation is is not by works, it's not by circumcision or ceremony, and it's not by by law either. If we have any hope of salvation, though, we must be saved the very same way that Abraham was. Abraham was not saved by works, not by circumcision, and not by the law. He was saved by faith. And so Paul says, if you want to be saved, you must be saved by the same faith that Abraham had. But if faith like Abraham is how you and I gain entrance into heaven or the righteousness that we need from God because we're sinners, then then that begs the question, what kind of faith? I mean, what does that faith look like? I mean, if you must have, you and I must have the same kind of faith that Abraham had, what was the nature of his faith? I mean, what, what, what was his faith in? Was it based on evidence? Was it primary sincerity? I mean, and once he had faith, did, did Abraham waver? Did he ever doubt? Did he ever get off, did he get off track? I mean, I have uncertainties at times, you might think. I mean, does that disqualify me? Does, did that, does that disqualify Abraham? I mean, whatever Abraham's faith was, the question that Paul forces us to answer in the end of chapter 4 is, do I have it? Do I have this kind of faith? Because if I don't, Paul says, I don't have salvation either. It's, it's that significant. It's that, that serious. And that's what he's going to show us this morning. He's going to give us a clear picture of biblical faith or saving faith, illustrated from the life of Abraham. You might think of it like reading a short biography of Abraham. 
And when you do, his example will provide for us five components of, of authentic faith. If, if you look at verse 17 through 21, there are five components of authentic faith. Now, I know you won't get all of this down before I switch the slide, so you can take a picture of it or I'll bring it up one at a time. But here are the five components. First of all, authentic faith believes God. Second, authentic faith trusts in God's power. Third, authentic faith hopes beyond human ability. Fourth, it grows. It grows increasingly consistent. And then number five, authentic faith is, is completely convinced. It's fully persuaded that what God promised, He is able to deliver in verse 21. Let's look at these one at a time, these five components of authentic faith. If, if you will be saved, these are the components. This is the nature of your faith as, as well. And he starts with the fact that authentic faith believes, believes God. Look at verse 17. As it is written, a father of many nations I have made you, in the presence of him who, whom he believed, even God. Now verse 17 connects us to the, the previous verses and acts like a bridge, uh, but it introduces it with a new angle. I mean, we know Paul's topic in chapter 4 has been the same topic that's been there since chapter 3. Faith. Faith alone saves. The, the nature of, uh, uh, of faith. And, and he's been talking about how this faith is the basis for your justification or Abraham's justification. You're not righteous yourself. You could never become righteous yourself. So you need God's righteousness. You need alien righteousness. You need righteousness outside of yourself credited to your account. How do you gain that? Well, you gain that through faith. Faith is what connects you to the, the promise of God, the promise that any who will repent and believe and trust in Jesus Christ will receive that that righteousness. That's what Abraham's been talking about, this faith that, that justifies us. Faith is the vehicle that connects us to the promise of God. But now he just explains what that faith looks like, the nature of that faith. And he starts at the very bedrock, I mean, the very foundation, the, the cornerstone, which is, it involves believing God. That's what he says in verse 17. After he quotes the Old Testament, he says, in the presence of him whom he believed, even God. I mean, Paul says authentic faith is not just, just believing in any deity, but the one that's the, the true and living God, who made the promise that Abraham just, just believed, the fact that he would make him the, the father of, of many nations. He, he says Abraham was in the presence of him in whom he believed. And for emphasis, he, he adds, even God. And that's where all authentic faith begins. It's rooted in believing in the person of, of God. I mean, Abraham's faith was not in something. Abraham's faith was in someone. And that someone is particularly defined in the pages of, of Scripture. And that someone was a very present God that Abraham was in the, present of, the presence of. Or to say it another way, God has a specific identity. I can remember hearing the story of a, uh, of a, um, a believer who's in the scientific community talking about an evolutionist who had come to the 
to the place of understanding and believing in intelligent design. He said, I started as an evolutionist, but the more I look at the evidence and the design that's there, I just, in the cosmos, I cannot deny that there's something out there. There's, there's someone out there. I mean, this can't just have happened by chance. And the believer said, yeah, I know his name. <laughs> I'll tell it if you, if you want me to. His name's Jesus Christ. And, and, and faith begins with the belief in, in the God, not, not just in any God. And that might sound like a duh statement to you, but it actually matters greatly. I mean, there are people all over the world that, that believe in, in something. Some believe in God, but they would define it very differently than the God of the Bible. And they might even believe in, in, in many different gods. And, and some people are just religious or they're agnostic. They would say, I, I believe there's something there, but I can't really know who that is or, or, or what that is. And if you remember back to Romans 1, the Apostle Paul explains to us why, that, why that's the case. It's not because there's a lack of evidence. It's because sinners, us, before coming to Christ, we suppress the truth that's there in our unrighteousness. For even though we, they knew God, they did not honor Him as God or give Him thanks, but they became futile in their speculations and their... Foolish hearts were darkened, professing to be wise. I'm too wise to believe in, in a God. Professing to be wise, they became fools. And they exchanged the glory of the incorruptible God for an image in the form of corruptible man. People will say there is a God, but they didn't know the God. And instead, they remake God into their own image. But the God is the God that you must believe in in order to be saved. And he defines himself in Scripture, defines himself in the Bible. Paul says that God was the object of Abraham's faith and must be the object of your faith. That's the kind of faith that Abraham had. Authentic faith freely receives the revelation that God gives about himself. I mean, how do you know who God is? Well, there, there are two ways. The Bible says there is... There's the natural revelation, what you see in creation around you, like that evolutionist who could not deny that, that, that there's, a, there's a design, but that's not enough to save you. It's only enough to condemn you because what you do with that information is, is, is not anything good. The Bible is then special revelation or specific revelation where God has written to you and to me to reveal to us who He is. And authentic faith freely receives the revelation that God gives about Himself, with all of His definable characteristics. I mean, you cannot be a Christian and not believe the Bible. I mean, the Bible is God's Word. And as a Christian, you believe that. You freely accept that and receive that. Probably at one point you didn't, like me, at 24. I didn't believe that, but now I do with all my heart. And it, and it doesn't alter it in any way. Authentic faith doesn't alter the Bible. It doesn't add to it. It doesn't take away. It doesn't say, well, I believe this about Jesus. He was a good moral guy, but I, I can't believe in, you know, in the miracles of Jesus. It doesn't remove the rough edges whenever God judges or talks about hell. It, it doesn't remove the parts you don't like. It doesn't add parts you wish were there. Authentic faith says this is how God reveals himself, and I believe it. I believe in him. Or to say it simply, you must believe in the God of the Bible. So how does the God of the Bible define himself? 
could you think of one verse that you would take somebody to that that would would define okay I, you you have you've got one shot at me give me give me a verse or two that that defines who God is where would you take them you could probably take them a number of places but but here's where I would take them I would take them in the in the two verses where God reveals himself you remember Moses Moses says says to God, who are you? Show me your glory. Show me who you are. And notice it's the Lord speaking. The Lord passed by in front of him and proclaimed. The Lord is proclaiming something about himself. God said, you want to know who I am? This is who I am. The Lord, the Lord God, compassionate and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in loving kindness and truth who keeps loving kindness for thousands, who forgives iniquity and transgression and sin. You know what God says about himself? He says, I'm the creator. He says he's compassionate, he's gracious, he's slow to anger, he abounds in faithfulness, and he forgives sin. Well, that defines him completely different from a lot of gods that that are in other religions, like the God of Islam, who is very harsh and capricious. You say, well, that sounds pretty good, but, but God actually goes on in, in the rest of that verse. Notice the yet. <laughs> I am this way, yet he will by no means leave the guilty unpunished, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and on the grandchildren of the third and fourth generation. He, he says, I'm also holy. And he says, I'm judge, and I punish sin. And he doesn't excuse the, the, the guilty. I mean, if you want to know what God is like, ultimately, you just look at the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. Read the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, because, because Jesus was God in the flesh, both in the, in the merciful compassion. And you can see that many times when, when he says, go and sin no more. And, and you can also see it when he kicks the Pharisees in the teeth for their hypocrisy or other. And he says, woe unto you, whitewashed sepulchers. You're full of dead men's bones, or, or you are of your father the devil. That's the God that you must place your faith in. And this God makes promises. And he has the power to bring them to pass as well. And the second component of authentic faith that you see in the life of Abraham, in Abraham's faith, is it's a faith that trusts in God's power. The power that makes dead men live and the power to call faithless people to believe. Look, if you would, at verse 17. Notice he goes on. He quotes the Old Testament. Verse 17. For as it is written, a father of many nations I have made you, in the presence of him who believed, whom he believed, even God. Now, now what about this God? Who gives life to the dead and calls into being that which does not exist. But you notice Paul shifts the emphasis from who this God is to what he can do, his abilities. I mean, he's already hinted at this power. He has power. He has supernatural power. He has power to do things that you and I don't. And you should be glad that he does. He's already hinted at this power in the beginning of the verse, and now he states it plainly. Did you notice that the scripture that Paul quoted from the Old Testament doesn't say, I will make you a father of many nations like future tense. It says, I have made you a father of many nations. 
I mean, it's stated as if it's already happened, even though it hasn't happened yet. Isaac wasn't even born whenever God made that statement to Abraham. The first offspring hadn't come. And that's a statement of his power. I mean, long before it was ever accomplished, God declares it as if it was done. And he does that all the time in the Bible. It's what theologians call the already but not yet part of your uh, aspect of your salvation. I mean, it's, it, it, it's, it's a way to describe God's declarative power, his, his ability to, to decree and then, and then fulfill it. It's the only way that we can understand it, to say it's already, but it's not yet, because we're not eternal beings like, like God is. I mean, if God decrees it, it, then it's already happened. It just hasn't happened yet in time, the already, but, but the not yet. And God says these kinds of things all the time. I mean, listen to Romans 8.30. You know this passage. And these whom he predestined, he also called. And these whom he called, he also justified. And these whom he justified, he also glorified. Glorified, as in past tense. I mean, God tells us that we are glorified, even though we're, we're, we're not yet. I mean, as believers... We're as, as, as good as in heaven as if we were already there, but we're not there yet. I mean, any in here sinless yet? Any in here completely glorified? I'm not. So how can God say it that way? I mean, how can God say He also glorified? Well, He can say it that way because God has unstoppable power to carry it out. I mean, there's nothing that can keep that promise from happening because God's the one who declares it. I mean, there's no obstacle or issue that can thwart that from happening. Which is why, uh, which is Paul's point, why he goes on and makes the point very specifically in the, in the rest of, uh, of Romans 8. You know how this ends? For I am persuaded, convinced, fully persuaded. I am convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Once you're in Him, there's nothing that can separate you. That's how He can make that definitive statement. And authentic faith, faith that saves, faith like Abraham's, trusts in God's power to bring about what He promised, even though it hasn't happened yet. I mean, what are we ultimately trusting God to do for us in, in salvation. We kind of boil it down this way. Forgive our sins and, and take us to heaven whenever we die. Life after death. Eternal life. Does anyone in here have the power to make that happen for yourself? No. But God does. And you believe that. I mean, has anyone ever been there and come back to tell us about it? I mean, anybody sitting in here been to heaven and been back? No. But Jesus has. And he has the power to take you there. And so Jesus says, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. And he goes on to say, I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go, I'm, I'm coming again, and, and you'll be here with me. I mean, you're not going to trust some crazy guy on YouTube that tells you they've been there, and here's how to get there, or, or somebody who writes a book about it. I mean, authentic faith rejects all of those places and trusts in God's power alone. Because God's power has the ability to raise the dead. That's what he says in verse 17. 
who gives life to the dead and calls into being that which does not exist. I mean, Paul now gets specific of the kind of power that, that, that God has. He gives life to the dead and he calls forth things that don't exist before he calls them. That's the idea here. I mean, both of these things are tied together because in order for, for God to do what he promised to Abraham, that I have made you a, a father of many nations, God had to have the ability in order to make that promise to raise physically dead people to life. And he also had to have the, the ability to call spiritually dead people to eternal life because he promised to create people from many nations and to create them as God's people, the people of Abraham. I mean, God's ability to make alive or to give life here uh, from the dead uh, could, could mean like the resurrection. And God surely has that kind of power. I mean, if you recall, what was Abraham's great test with, 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 with Isaac? It was related to trusting God with that kind of power. I mean, God was, was called, I mean, Abraham was called by God to sacrifice Isaac, who was his only son, the, the promised child. And and Hebrews 11 tells us about Abraham's faith. By faith, this authentic faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac, and he who had received the promises was offering up his only begotten son. Ooh, wait. And it, has, and, and it was he to whom it was said, In Isaac your descendants shall be called. You feel the conflict that's building here? He's called to offer Isaac, and Isaac was his only son. And he's called by the guy who said, In Isaac your descendants shall be called. How's, it, how's that going to work now? How's God going to fulfill his promise? Well, Abraham believed something by faith. He considered that God is able to raise people even from the dead, from which he also received him back as a, as a tithe. So Abraham's faith included a trust that God had power and power to, to, to raise the dead. But this also could be a reference to his own deadness. Look at verse 19 of Romans 4. It says, Without becoming weak in faith, he contemplated his own body, Abraham's own body, now as good as dead, since he was about a hundred years old. Dead in the sense that he can't have children. So Abraham's ability to have children was also dead, and yet God had the power to alter that as well. And he did. And Paul's point is authentic faith trusts in God's power to do supernatural things. It can raise dead bodies, and it can raise dead abilities. And that power can create what was not there before. Look at how verse 17 goes on. Who gives life to the dead, dead bodies, dead wombs, dead abilities, and... It calls into being that which does not exist. What an amazing phrase that you can just easily just kind of glance right over when you're reading this, this passage. I mean, this second phrase is either a reference to creation out of nothing, ex nihilo, or ex nihilo. It's, 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 it's the fact that God spoke, and there was nothing before, and then there was. Or, more likely, it's talking about the nations that weren't there before that God would call forth from Abraham. And he states that he's going to do that before they're even realized. 
I mean, if it's creation, which this passage is used in the Old Testament a lot to talk about creation, it's a result clause. It's saying God, uh, God calls what did not exist so that it came into existence just by the, the sheer power of his voice. It's a reference to the creative work of God, and, and he surely has the power to do that. But because this is a reference to the promise that was made in, in verse 17, it could also mean God will summon or call forth the descendants of Abraham even though they didn't exist when he made the promise. I mean, either way, this is a reference to God's supernatural work of, of calling forth faith where, where there was none before. I mean, God has the power to call something into being out of, of nothing. And Paul is using it here as an illustration related to faith. It is creative power it, it is, is, has a creative nature. It's the same creative power that God uses, the creative power of nature. The, the fact that God can, can speak the world into existence, the physical world, is the same creative power that he uses to spiritually create faith. And he uses that power to call out nations from, from Abraham. This is not the only place that Paul uses this, this, this concept of, of creation and God using his voice to, to create faith create spiritual life. He, he does it over in 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 6. Notice what Paul says there. He says, For God, who said, Light shall shine out of darkness, is the one who has shown into our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. So he's talking about knowledge as light, and that, that light is shining in our hearts, and it has to do with, with Christ. And, and the quote here is from Genesis 1, where God said, let there be light. The God who said, let there be light, is also the one who said, let there be light in your hearts. And, and when he did that, there was, there was a, a faith that was there, ability that was there, that wasn't there before. Just like when he spoke and created the physical world, Paul says he speaks now, and he speaks through the gospel, and he creates spiritual life and light in hearts. And that creation is, is out of nothing, meaning that there was nothing there for, for God to work with. He creates it. You're, you're not wandering around just, just looking for God until he finds you. The Bible says that you are opposed to God. You're going hard and, hard and fast in the opposite direction. And authentic faith trusts in God's power to, to make you a new heart. I mean, that's what he told Nicodemus, right? Nicodemus understood all the natural part. He didn't understand the spiritual part. He said, you must be born again. You must be born from above. You need a spiritual birth. You have a natural birth. You need a spiritual birth. And you have a natural birth. You're here this morning, and you can't explain that natural birth. I mean, yeah, I mean, there's science that talks about these two things come together and the baby grows. But, I mean, think about life. I mean, you, it, science will only take you so far. And you can't explain your spiritual birth either. It's something that God did. He comes to you. You didn't find him. He sends the gospel, and you believe it, and, it, and even the faith to believe. The ability to have faith comes from him. He gives you light. He opens your eyes. I was blind, but now I see 
And the Bible says faith comes by hearing. Hearing by the word of Christ. So God has the power to create something that wasn't there before. Faith. That then turns into individuals of the individual faith, and that individual faith makes up the nations. And God has the power to create children from Abraham, from the nations that before they, they were. And he can do that even when it seems like there is no possible way. Here's the third component of authentic faith. It hopes beyond human ability because it's confident in God's capability while it's undeterred or undaunted by our inability. Look at how Paul goes on here in verses 18 and 19. After explaining that authentic faith believes in God, it trusts in God's power, Paul says in verse 18, In hope against hope, he believed, so that he might become a father of many nations, according to that which had been spoken. Here back to the promise of God. So shall your descendants be. This is the, a quote whenever God took Abraham in Genesis 15 outside, and he says, look up in the, in the night sky. Can you count the stars? No, I can't count the stars, Lord. The Lord says, so shall your descendants be, before they ever were. And then verse 19, without becoming weak in faith, he contemplated his own body. Oh, how's this going to happen? Look at me, I'm 100 years old. Now as good as dead since he was about 100 years old and the deadness of Sarah's womb. Deadness is uh, Sarah's past menopause. How's this going to happen? So authentic faith believes in God, it trusts in God's power, and it hopes despite or in spite of human circumstances. I mean, faith is not simply sincerity. There has to be something that faith that faith connects to. It's not just, oh, I'm just going to hope against hope. I'm, gonna, I'm just going to be really sincere that this cancer is going to go away. Or I'm just going to be really sincere that, 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 that when I show up before God, that God's just going to, I just really believe that God's going to let me into heaven. It's sincerity. That's not faith. That's not authentic faith. Authentic faith here is faith that, that believes in something, in a God who makes a promise. Your faith believes the promise that God made. So you have to have a promise that God says this will happen and then that's what you believe in. But you believe in that often in spite of what you see around you and your circumstances. It's not illogical faith, but it's hope that, def that defies human circumstance. Faith is rooted or anchored in something, God and His promises. And God promises, God's promises are backed up by His power, not ours. That's what stands behind the promise that you believe. Not, not simply that, uh, what you're able to, to see or rationalize. And that's what it means to believe against hope. I mean, in Abraham's case, there was nothing but God's power that could bring about this promise. There were no human grounds for any hope. He's 100 and she's past menopause, and Abraham believed God anyway. I don't know how he's going to do this, but God says he's going to do it. And I believe that God's able to do that. Hope against hope. It's a strange phrase. There are two hopes here. Hope against hope. And these two hopes are in opposition, but one wins out in authentic faith. It means Abraham had divine hope while he lacked human hope. I mean, he... 
he has hope, hope in God, in the face of no hope, humanly speaking. That's what this phrase means. I mean, trusted in God's supernatural ability to make it happen when there was no natural ability to make it happen. God's capability with human inability. But Paul's point here is even greater than that. He did that with contrary circumstances right in his face that said it wasn't possible. I mean, look at verse 19. Without becoming weak in faith, he contemplated his own body, now as good as dead, and the deadness of Sarah's womb. I mean, Abraham's faith flew in the face of human evidence or his circumstances. His circumstances shouted, there is no hope. Just like your circumstances this morning might shout, there is no hope. You don't know the sin that I've committed. How could God ever forgive me? And you look at yourself and you say, there's no hope. And you're right, in yourself, there is no hope. You, you have an inability. Well, that's not what saves you. It's God's capability and God's promise and His power. Paul's point is authentic faith believes in spite of human circumstance. But Abraham did not allow his faith to become weak because of that. I mean, he believed God's promise. He doesn't just say, ah, oh, that doesn't exist. I mean, he fully acknowledges, I'm 100 years old and she's past menopause. How does this happen? I don't know how this happens. Here are the, the real circumstances in front of me. It's not illogical. Not if there is a supernatural God who can do things contrary to nature. That's not illogical. He, believes God's, he believed God's promise was based on God's power, not his on his circumstances. So supernatural hope goes, goes beyond human ability. It, it transcends even earthly evidence at times because it's rooted in the Lord. The physical circumstances would have certainly given Abraham any reason to doubt. Doug Moo said, Abraham continued to believe God's promise to him even as he observed the physical condition that rendered the fulfillment of that promise so unlikely. And you'll face that as well if you haven't already. I mean, one day, maybe, maybe soon, you're going to face death or the reality of death. And, and there'll come a point where you will exhaust all human hope. There'll be no more treatment or there'll be no more time. Old age or something. And in that moment, you will need hope that is greater than the confidence that you had in human means because human means gone. Natural circumstances will say that the human body is done and they don't come back from the dead, but God promises they can and they will by His power. And that's the hope that believers have. They know if God's power was able to create the first body, He's surely able to raise up the, the second one, and they have hope. Authentic faith is confident in God's capability, and it's undeterred by God, by man's inability. Did you know that Jesus uses this same, this same concept as, as it relates to salvation in Mark chapter 10, verses 17 through 27? You remember Mark 10? You might not remember the reference, but you remember the story. It's the story of the rich young ruler. You remember the rich young ruler who comes, and he comes feigning, seeking salvation. He makes those just, just statements that are crazy to us. Jesus says, you know the commandments. He's, he's leading him down, down a path. 
And he says, oh yeah, I've kept all the commandments and I've kept them from my youth. And then Jesus exposes his, his true heart and shows him his real heart, the idol that's in his heart. He says, then go sow all that you have, give it to the poor and follow me. It has nothing to do with salvation being giving your stuff away. It has to do with what captured this rich young ruler's heart and Jesus exposes him. And then he says to his disciples this, this statement about about a rich man entering into heaven. And when his disciples saw the, 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 the difficulty of salvation, of a human being, and when they heard Jesus say, children, how hard it is to enter into the kingdom, it says that they were even more astonished and, and said, who then, who then can be saved? And they were amazed at this. They saw how hard it was for a human being to believe in the gospel when the embodiment of the gospel was standing right in front of them. There was no hope, humanly speaking. And so they cry out, Master, who then can be saved? I mean, how is this possible? How is salvation possible? And Jesus echoes what Paul says here about, about authentic faith. Looking at them, Jesus said, with people, with man it is impossible, with God, but not with God, for all things are possible with God. Man, that's a nice bumper sticker, but he's talking about salvation here. I mean, Paul says Abraham believed that. Abraham believed when he saw that for him and Sarah it was humanly impossible for the promise to be fulfilled. He believed God's ability in the face of human inability, and that's what, exactly what you have to do in salvation. I mean, you have to be confronted with your inability that you're completely unable to save yourself or even come to God on your own. And then once you realize that, you have to go one step farther. You have to believe in God's ability to save you. You have to hope against hope. That He will save to the uttermost any who will call upon Him, no matter what they've done. And the Bible says He will. And once authentic faith comes, then it, it grows. Here's the fourth component that you find here. The fourth component of, of authentic faith is it grows increasingly consistent. It's persistent, it progresses, and it, it ends with praise when it gets strong. Look at verse 20. He says, Yet, with respect to the promise of God, he, that's Abraham, did not waver in unbelief, so that's the first thing he didn't do, but grew strong in faith, that's the second thing, giving glory to God whenever that, that, that comes to an end. And the key word in verse 20 is, is waver. He did not waver. It, it literally means he didn't stagger. Literally, he didn't divide his faith. He, he didn't become a divided man when he had to wait on the promise and when he had to face obstacles. He, he stayed locked on the promise. I mean, authentic faith is consistent faith. It's faith over the long haul. It doesn't spring up whenever you're emotionally stirred and you come forward in an altar call and then you go out and live however you want to live. It, it, it's faith that, that if it begins, it, it remains. Whatever is alive grows. And notice that there's a time aspect here. It didn't remain in unbelief. It grew strong over time. He, he didn't waver in unbelief, but grew strong in, in, in faith. It, it doesn't mean that Abraham never had momentary hesitations. 
It doesn't mean that once Abraham believed, he never doubted. He set his face like a flint. I mean, you can read the Old Testament and read the story of Hagar and, and see that's not the case. I mean, there was at least one point where Abraham thought he needed to help God out. I mean, the idea here is that, that authentic faith is like Abraham's. It doesn't have a deep-seated lack of trust that remains. I mean, the clouds of doubt dissipate. While there may be momentary flashes of darkness, he, Abraham remembered the sun was behind the clouds. I mean, unlike the double-minded man in James. You remember the double-minded man in James? For that man ought not to expect that he will receive anything from God, being double-minded, being a double-minded man, unstable in all of his ways. I mean, that man has two minds. I mean, he goes back and forth, he, and he's never able to, to light. He, he's like a, a flitting bird with no feet. There's a branch there for him to light on. It's God and His promises. But, but every time he tries to land, he has nothing to grasp the branch. He's double-minded. He, Abraham was not like that. He had a single-minded trust that, the, that even though he had cloudy days, and that's very encouraging, at least it is to me. I mean, authentic faith doesn't mean that there won't be periods of uncertainty or even knocking knees or questions uh, but your feet find a way back to the path, and over the long haul, you, you believe. I mean, you, you look at your life as a whole, and there might be may, uh, moments when you're waiting on the promise of God, but in the big picture, you're consistent. And you see the difference between that and being double-minded? I mean, every Christian will have days where there are momentary hesitations, even times where you might question whether God's listening, or possibly... Even deep moments, whenever you, you think, has he forsaken me? Just read the Psalms. But just like the Psalms, you'll end where David does, where the psalmist does. There's still an underlying trust in God that you can't see. Even in the sense of desolation, you always come out of it because in the background there's an awareness that God exists, and so there's still hope. You end like David does affirming trust in, in God. That's the difference between a permanent attitude of distrust toward God or skepticism. God, prove that you're there. If you don't prove that you're there constantly, continually, then my faith is, it just, all the air is let out of it. It's the difference from starting with hope in God and having something come into your life that rocks your confidence. When you hit rock bottom, you're still on the rock, the rock of Christ. And the faith of Abraham starts with belief in God and ends with trusting Him, even though there were, there, there were moments of, of struggles. The double-minded starts with skepticism toward God and, and ends with demands for signs and sight, or they refuse to believe. But, but authentic faith, when it goes through periods of struggles and, and doubts, comes out the other side stronger. That's what it says. Look at verse 20. And yet, with respect to the promise of God, he did not waver in unbelief, didn't completely waylay him, but he grew strong in faith. Abraham came out the other side of those struggles stronger. And when he did, he gave glory to God. There's the praising. I mean, Abraham's a faithful response to God was to give him glory. And that will be yours as well in, in the end, if you have authentic faith. I mean, in fact, it's a mark of 
of true faith. I mean, Tom Schreiner said, the supreme way to worship God is not to work for Him, but to trust that He will fulfill His promises. Isn't that what Jesus says to the woman at the well? The Father seeks, not workers, but worshipers. Paul spelled that out in Romans chapter 4, verses 4 and 5. The same chapter. Not to the one who works, his wage is not credited as a favor, but what is due. But to the one who does not work, but believes in him, who justifies the ungodly, his faith is credited as righteousness. That's how you glorify God. You glorify God by believing, by trusting in his promises. Not by how high you jump, or not by leaping first like Peter did out of the boat. You trust God, you glorify God when you're in the soup, when you're out of the boat. <laughs> That's authentic faith. Or in Peter's case, the stormy water. And glorifying God is, is a mark of authentic faith. Faith that fights through the hits, that grows stronger on the journey, and trusts God in the end. And that kind of faith is a faith that's completely convinced or fully persuaded of God's promise and of God's fulfillment. Look, look if you would, at verse 21. He kind of ties it all together in a nice, neat little bow here. Verse 21, And being fully assured that what God had promised, He was able to perform. Verse 21 describes what growing strong in the faith means, what it looks like to grow strong. It means you, you develop conviction. That's what it means. And you do that as you grow in, in your faith. Your convictions deepen and they, they grow. They're not blown about or, or easily moved. And Abraham became fully persuaded that, what, that, that God was able and that enabled him to overcome all obstacles that were presented against his faith. I mean, I think here is one of the simplest definitions of faith in the Bible in, in, in crystalline form. I mean, faith is being fully persuaded or completely convinced that what God said he will do, he will do. He's able to do it, and he will do it. I mean, your faith, authentic faith is your believing response to a promise of God. And you can't have faith without a promise of God. As I said earlier, God's promise is fulfilled by, by His power, and this verse brings it all together. I mean, authentic faith is objective. It's not subjective. I mean, I'm afraid when we consider the concept of faith, we, we often think in terms of feelings, and we think in terms of sincerity, and, and there's an aspect of of sincerity, I mean, being fully persuaded. We think, like, like, do I really believe this? And the focus is, is too much on us. It's entirely on us in a, lot of case, in a lot of cases, not the object that you're believing in. I mean, to say it bluntly, we're often very man-centered when we talk about faith and God-centered. But over and over and over in this passage, faith is objective that what God promised, He is able. His promise, His power, it's in facts, it's in a promise, it's in a person, it's in the power of that person. 
faith is not a work that God gives you credit for. I mean, like he, he's going to see how sincerely you are believing, and therefore he grants us salvation. Oh, that one's really sincere. And the point of faith is the, is the strength of what, what we're believing in. And in authentic faith, the strong one is God, meaning who he is and what he promises. My favorite illustrations came by about this came from D.A. Carson talking about the Passover. He gave a hypothetical story of two Jewish men that had the instructions to put the, the blood over the, the, the doorpost before the, the death angel. God says, when I see the blood, I'll pass over you, so apply that to the doorpost. One Jewish man goes out, brings his family outside, with his, puts the, the blood over the, over the doorpost and goes back in. Another guy goes out and does the same thing. That's what God told me to do, so I'm going to do it. The first man was bold. Bless God, let the death angel come. I'm not afraid whatsoever because the blood's been applied to the door. The second man said, I I hope the death angel doesn't come. I did what God told me to do. I'm going to trust there. That's where I'm going to put my hope. Carson went on to, to say it's, it's not the, the strength of your faith. It was the blood that called the death angel to pass over the door. Not, not the, the bold man or the, or, or, or the trembling man. It was the blood that, that called the death angel to, to pass over the door. And it was the faith to put the blood over the door that connected them to, to that promise. Faith is nothing more than the wire that connects us to the current. Faith is the dropper that brings the potent medicine to our lips. It's the spoon that feeds us, but the God is the food. The writer of Hebrews states it another way. Hebrews eleven six, And without faith it is impossible to please him, For he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who seek him. Authentic faith believes that God is, that he exists as the true God, and that he is a rewarder, he's a giver. That God will grant forgiveness and righteousness if we turn to him because he promises he will. Authentic faith is fully persuaded of that. That what God promises... Salvation, salvation that comes from his son, to those who believe he's willing and able to grant it. So do you have authentic faith? you have that kind of faith? Faith that believes God, that's where it starts. It's the bedrock, the God of the Bible. Faith that trusts in God's power. The God of the Bible makes promises and says he can do things and will do things. Faith that hopes beyond human ability. Circumstances that are natural sometimes fly in the face of supernatural promises. Faith that grows, it's not perfect, but it's consistent. And faith that's fully convinced, develops conviction. If you do, then you have the faith of Abraham. But if you don't, then here's what I would encourage you to do. I would encourage you to read the Bible more. I would encourage you to listen to preaching. Ask somebody to give you their testimony. How did you come to believe? 
Because the Bible says faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of Christ. How do you grow in faith? How do you develop faith to begin with? How does God grant it? By hearing the gospel. And as you sit into the word of God and as you hear the gospel, one of two things will happen. I can promise you this. One of two things will happen. Either you will be softened and God will grant you light and you'll see and then you'll realize your condition and the fact that you need to believe, and then you'll exercise personal faith. Or, I hope not the, the second, you'll harden. You'll sit under the truth, and you'll keep resisting the truth, and you'll develop a callus on your heart, and that callus will turn to stone, and you'll remain in the condition that you're in. And then you won't really know until you see by sight. And you stand before that same God who says, if you come to me, I'll forgive you. And you stand before him in the very end. You want to be in the first category, not the second, if you're wondering. Let me pray. Father, I do thank you for the truth of your word, how clear it is, how clear you make it. And I don't have any magic formula, any secret prayer for somebody to pray that they mouth words and they enter the kingdom. I have something way better than that. I have a God who promises whoever will call upon His name, whoever will believe in His Son, He has the power and the ability to save and He will. And so I pray, Father, that anyone here that anyone listening or watching that, that might not be there, that, that, that they would, would read your word, listen to testimonies, listen to preaching, and inquire, and allow you to do that work in their heart. And I pray for us as believers, we might be encouraged to even grow in the faith like Abraham, even whenever difficulties come, and deepen our convictions. We ask it all and give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen.